Bring it in. Read option back here. Getting you ready for week 11 in the NFL and week 12 in college football. I'm flying solo. I'm riding solo. I'm riding solo. Um, yeah, so Scotty and Vito, we had to do a weird scheduling thing today. I got something going on tonight. We normally record right before the Thursday night football game. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, Today, with some scheduling conflicts, I had to end up recording like kind of in the middle of the afternoon. So, uh, going solo, which will be fun. I haven't done a solo pod in a while since the NBA one. I haven't done a football solo pod all year. So, I'm excited. You just get uh, just a whole lot of me. So, enjoy that. Uh, but we got a bunch of stuff to talk about. And before we get into the games and previewing everything from this weekend, there was some different stuff kind of going on in the sports world. Uh, the college football playoff rankings came out. The college football coaching carousel is spinning rapidly. There's already been 12 different FBS coaching changes, and the season's not even over yet. We still got two seasons left of the regular season. So we will cover all of that throughout the winter as more and more stuff kind of goes on. It seems like Mel Tucker's on the verge of signing a big-time deal uh, I think it will make him the second highest paid coach in all of college football, averaging about $9.6 million a year. He would also become the highest paid African-American coach in sports history, which is pretty badass. It's pretty badass for our man, Mel Tucker. And, and look, he's done a really good job at, at Michigan State, but he also has one high-quality win. He spent one year at Colorado – before then going to uh, Michigan State, which was the, his first year was the pandemic year, which they struggled. But they had very low expectations coming into the season. Mel Tucker and Michigan State were, I believe, ranked uh, preseason, and they were voted to finish last in the Big Ten East. And now here they are with a chance, if they can pull off the upset against Ohio State, though they are 21-point underdogs, Right now, if they can find a way to do it, you know, they, they control their own destiny. They beat Michigan. The Purdue loss hurts. But if they can somehow find a way to pull it off, which, again, not likely, they have the worst pass defense in all of Division One FBS football. They are literally ranked 132 out of 132 in pass defense. And they're going up against arguably the number one offense in the country. C.J. Stroud, I think he's got 10 passing touchdowns in the last two games. He is on a roll, so say what you will. Um, but the guy's done an unbelievable job. He absolutely attacked the transfer portal, and he deserves it, right? I mean, maybe deserves isn't the right word, but if you're Michigan State, you know, we had a guy on, on our show today who was calling in who actually wasn't calling in. He was a scheduled guest, and uh, my man Rick Neuheisel booked him, which was probably not a good decision on Neuheisel's part. Because this guy used to be an ESPN executive and now he does a podcast and he's just a flat out homer, completely biased, kind of like our boys, Scotty and Vito. But he was talking about, you know, when Mark D'Antonio was at Michigan State, they were a top five program, arguably in college football. And that's just not true. Right. Fans are it's short for fanatics. It's again with the cliches, but it's true. They don't see sports objectively. And Michigan State's a good job. 
And to Mel Tucker's credit, he always said that to him, Michigan State was a destination job, not a, you know, not a leap, not a jumping stone. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to stay here for a couple of years and I'm going to go to another job. And if you're going to pay him $95 million to be your head coach over 10 years, then all right. You know what? Like they have some money there. I believe the guy from Rocket Mortgage or what one of the biggest mortgage companies in the world was a walk on at Michigan State. And so they have the money. They have the resources. They have a coach that they believe can lead them to the promised land. And I hope, I hope that he continues to grow because that program, that story, that team this year has been exceptional. They've been so much fun to follow. They've been so much fun to root for. And I would say this, if you take out the Texas and Oklahoma game, the Michigan-Michigan State game, especially considering where both teams are at right now, Michigan at six, Michigan State at seven, which we'll get into a little bit later with the college football rankings. We'll do that right after this. There's value in that game. And to be down 16 in the third quarter and work all your way back, Kenneth Walker the third, K9, which is nickname, which I love, great nickname, uh, because that dude is a dog. Ran for 197 yards, five touchdowns. The guy was an, a monster. And at the end of the day, like Michigan State has has won some big games. The Purdue loss hurts, no question about it. But if you're looking for a guy to build your program around and considering that with both USC and LSU, that Mel Tucker's name has been swirling around, has been mentioned in the coaching carousel time after time, that's a guy that you want, right? If LSU is going to be willing to pay him $60 million a year, $70 million a year, and you're sitting there as Michigan State, like, you know what? We have the resources, we have the money, we have a donor and, and a, a backer who wants to keep this guy around. Let's get this deal done. And I'll say this too. Jimmy Sexton, who is his agent, is the like Drew Rosenhaus of college football coaches, right? Jimmy Sexton represents every major college football coach in the country, more or less. And uh, one of the news, if you've recognized that name that came out, is because over the summer, James Franklin switched to Jimmy Sexton as his agent. And now uh, it, it didn't get released until about a month ago, maybe three weeks ago. And he had to answer, it was that week he had to answer all those questions about USC and LSU opening up and all these different, you know, potential jobs. That's when everyone first kind of knew, if you're not super plugged into college football, that's when a lot of people heard Jimmy Sexton's name the first time. There's a lot of people calling for Sexton to get this deal done for Mel Tucker before the Ohio State game, because I think most people predict that this is going to be a blowout. This is going to be Michigan State getting absolutely ran out of the building in Columbus this weekend. And I'll say this. I don't think it matters. Because if you're Michigan State, you finally have this awesome bounce back season. You have a coach that you believe in. You have a chance, even if they do lose to Penn State this weekend, you have a, a chance to finish the season 9-2. and two. A nine-win season for Michigan State after looking bad during the COVID season, after all the stuff with Mark D'Antonio comes out, after all the, honestly, the Larry Nasser stuff, like it's been a while for Michigan State since they've been the premier program that a lot of people think they are. And I'd say, look, Michigan State's probably a top 15, top 20 job in the country. And in under the right circumstances with the right coach in the Big Ten, you're always going to have quality teams on your schedule. So you never have to worry about like playing in the Big Ten West where, Iowa and Wisconsin and Northwestern, all those teams basically have to go undefeated and then beat either Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, one of those four teams in the Big Ten championship. 
if Mel Tucker can develop the program to the, the way that he thinks he can and, and Michigan State fans think that he can, you're always going to have high-quality wins available on your schedule. You just obviously have to get your team up to that point. And we've already seen him beat Michigan once. Does it seem a little rambunctious, right, to, to give a coach $95 million in 10 years when he's only had one really quality win? I don't want to say that the other ones weren't quality, but in terms of like, hey, you're going up against the other big three in the Big Ten East and Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan. Right now he's 1-0 in those games this season. Next two weeks, he's got Ohio State this weekend, and he's got Penn State to finish out the year. He finishes 2-1. and one. Even if they do get blown out by Ohio State, I don't think it matters what happens this weekend. I think he's going to get this extension. But I'll say this. If anyone follows college football, you know contracts don't really mean anything when it comes to head coaches. They just don't. If a coach wants to leave and go somewhere else, he can't. But I'll say this, as I'm kind of going back and forth against myself right now, $95 million is a lot. He's trailing only Nick Sater in terms of yearly salary. Is it a mistake? Is it not? Is it a desperation move on Michigan State's part? It's like, hey, we have all of the everything we need. We can keep this guy if we want him. We got to give him an offer he can't refuse, right? You got to go godfather on him. And that's kind of what they're doing here. They're giving him a godfather offer. So shouts to Mel Tucker. Uh, but even still, we still have LSU opening up. We still now have Virginia Tech opening up, which for many of you, you know, I'm a JMU guy. JMU and Tech don't really like each other. But I'll say this. Virginia Tech is a really, really good job. Now, they haven't really been much, right? Bud Foster moves on. They were the only national championship appearance they really had was back in 2000. They're still one of only three power five, quote unquote, schools to have never won a team national championship. It was four and Michigan State or sorry, not Michigan State, Mississippi State won the College World Series this past summer, which knocked them off uh, off that list. So I think it's them. It's Kansas State. And there's one other one that I'm, I'm blanking on here. But it's down to three. So we'll see how that all kind of plays out. You still have USC opening up. But Virginia Tech, look at Billy Napier. Look at Jamie Chadwell from Coastal Carolina. Maybe he makes a jump from the Sun Belt up to Virginia Tech. There's Virginia's fertile recruiting grounds. And Virginia Tech especially because you're only a couple hours from Tennessee. You're only a couple hours from the Carolinas. You're, you're right down there in an area where you can recruit. If they get the right guy in there, and I think either one of those guys, Napier or Jamie Chadwell, would be an awesome hire. I would, Chadwell would probably be the splashier hire, maybe with a little more upside. Billy Napier is a guy who, you know, he's built up that Louisiana Lafayette program from the ground. You know, they've become a, a perennial top 30 team as a group of five school for a while now. And how they continue to progress has been really impressive from a coach who's kind of that similar to Bud Foster in that, you know, bring your lunch pail, right? That was always the motto for Bud Foster's defense when he was the DC at Virginia Tech is, you know, it's, it's the lunch pail defense. Billy Napier's kind of cut from that same cloth, but you look at Jamie Chadwell, who's created arguably the most efficient offense in college football history. You know, his quarterback McCall, I think it's Gavin McCall, Maybe I'm just thinking Gavin DeGraw. I don't know. Uh, but McCall, his quarterback, 
was on on pace before he got hurt last week and is now out for the season to be the most efficient quarterback in the history of college football. And he does so many things in the way that they dress up their offense. Like he's he's kind of pseudo Lincoln Riley, which is ironic because Lincoln Riley also was he was the offensive coordinator at Coastal Carolina before he became the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma and then inevitably eventually the head coach. A lot of NFL guys, a lot of other college football coaches go to Jamie Chadwell and they study his offense because it's you it's really unique. And so if you're looking for a guy like, hey, maybe, maybe this is the guy that can take us from you know, Virginia Tech, solid power five program to, all right, now we're going to be a legitimate perennial top 25 team. Like Costa Carolina has been in the Sun Belt, which the last two years, I mean, that's wild. So you're looking at maybe higher upside, but a little less certainty with, with Jamie Chadwell. Billy Napier is probably a little bit safer. There's also going to take a little bit longer to develop. And, you know, the upside, not to say that there isn't upside with him, but it may, it's just a safer pick. If I'm tech, I'm looking at Jamie Chadwell and I'm saying, how much do you want? $6 million a year? Done. Let's, let's, let's make it happen. Uh, and, and Justin Fuente wasn't the guy. He was kind of looked at similarly to Billy Napier. I say you go out of the box a little bit and, and you make a splash year higher and you take a chance on Jamie Chadwell, who is incredibly well-respected in the coaching circuit right now amongst every level of football, whether it's high school, all the way up through the NFL. Uh, the USC job, I mean, James Franklin, does James Franklin get a call after the way the Penn State season's gone? It's probably still because he's just that good of a recruiter. Uh, other than that, I mean, it'll be an interesting guy. I mean, they're not going to go after a guy like Kiffin. I don't know who else is really out there that's that's moving the needle drastically for the USC job. And then just a few hours up north in Washington, Jimmy Lake gets fired on Monday or Sunday, I guess, Sunday afternoon. And now we're thinking, okay, well, Washington been to the college football playoff. USC hasn't been to the college football playoff. Is Washington going to be, I mean, Washington's a really good school, really good opportunity. So the coaching carousel this year is going to be as fascinating as ever. The biggest fish out there in terms of coaches in my mind is probably still Mel Tucker because he's just, he's the hot name. And a lot of times in college football, the name is what's going to kind of get you there. I could see maybe Matt Campbell, but again, he hasn't been there. Luke Fickle, I love it, Cincinnati, but they're making the jump to the Power Five this year, next year for Cincinnati. So are you going to, you know, try to pull him away? I think he loves Cincinnati. I think he loves what he's built there. And if they don't get in this season, well, now he's at least going to have a little bit of a stronger resume, stronger argument going to the Big 12, and if they can kind of pull off the same thing at the pick, at, at, uh, in the Big 12. It is worth noting, Mike Boone is the athletic director at USC. He was hired, I believe, two years ago. Before he went to USC, he was the athletic director at Cincinnati. He's the guy who hired Luke Fickle, and so maybe there's enough there to pull him out to the coast, but that to me just doesn't seem like a good fit. Luke Fickle is a, is, a, is a country boy. He's a Midwest guy, played at Ohio State. The Ohio State job's not opening up anytime soon unless something crazy happens with Ryan Day going to the NFL or something like that, which may be four or five years down the line, but not this year and definitely not in the next couple of years. 
So I don't think Luke Fickle would go out and take the USC job, but crazier stuff has happened. We said the same thing about Mick Cronin. when He was the uh, head basketball coach at Cincinnati. He's now out at UCLA, and UCLA is humming. They had that incredible Final Four run last year through the, you know, through the NCAA tournament. They just knocked off Villanova in the opening week, and we all know how good of a program Villanova is. So it'll be interesting to follow, but keep your eyes out here as the coaching carousel continues to spin. To the college football playoff rankings. Now, there was no major changes in the top seven, which I think for most people is not all that surprising. The one surprising part about this was Gary Barta's comments about why Michigan stayed ahead of Michigan State. So Reese Davis is kind of pressing him on it right after the, uh, the rankings are released. And he says, if you set aside the game between Michigan and Michigan State, where Michigan State won, well, Michigan's ahead in every statistical category. So we just feel like they're a, a more well-rounded team. They're a better overall team than Michigan State. And that is so absurd. And Ivan Menzel, who uh, Mazel, who was a uh, – he used to write for The Athletic. He's been covering college football for 30-plus years. Very well-respected writer. He now works for On3 Sports. Wrote an absolutely hilarious article, and I implore all of you to go out and read it. Ivan Mazel said uh, – the whole premise of this article was basically going through a bunch of uh, examples in sports where you would kind of pull it back and, and, and say, like, perfect example. He's like – the committee believes, even though the Atlanta Falcons ended up losing the Super Bowl in 2017 to the New England Patriots, they were the better team through three quarters. So we're going to end up putting the Atlanta Falcons as our Super Bowl champion. They had another one about, despite Tua Tungavailoa coming in in overtime, throwing a touchdown pass to Devontae Smith, in overtime to win the national championship. It, the college football playoff believes that if you set aside that game, that Georgia is the more complete team. And he goes through, he even uses a, a uh, David and Goliath story too in the whole thing. It's a very, very funny article. But he's right at its core. Because if, if, if the head-to-head matters, both teams are 9-1, how can you justify keeping Michigan ahead of Michigan State? Now, I can put my myself in the shoes of the committee and say, I, I personally believe that Michigan is the better team. But just because I say that doesn't mean that they didn't play and it doesn't mean that Michigan State didn't win the game because they did. And so in my, in my view of it, Michigan State has to be ranked ahead of Michigan. They played. They played. Not only did they play, it wasn't like they played week one. They played three weeks ago. Halloween weekend. One of the best college football games of the year. And yet the committee still is keeping Michigan ahead of Michigan State because in their eyes, they just think that they're the better team. Now, if you look at it this way, Michigan's one loss is to the number seven team in the country versus Michigan State's loss came from an unranked Purdue team. So again, like I can understand the logic, but they played. They played each other. How can you have Michigan State behind Michigan when they have the same record? They're one spot away from each other. And they played. And the committee is valuing Oregon over Ohio State, even though Ohio State looks like they're probably the second-best team in all of college football right now. 
And the reason that they have Oregon ahead of Ohio State is because Oregon beat Ohio State, and that was week three. This happened three weeks ago, two games ago. And the committee, for whatever reason, still has Michigan ahead of Michigan State. And the committee and Gary, Gary Barta, who's taken a lot of heat over the last you know week or so, which I understand, right? He's the face of it. He's the Roger Goodell. Okay, he's the guy who's taking all the heat. He's the press secretary of the White House who's getting crap from the reporters. You know, Sean, Spe- Sean Spicer, whatever his name was, the, the first, you know, the first uh, guy for the White House, the, the White House representative under, uh, I think, it was under the Trump administration. That dude was hated. And it's a thankless job. But there's a whole committee behind him. And the one job of the playoff chair chairman there, the, the, the head of the playoff committee, is to sell and justify what the committee was doing. And Gary Barta has done an atrocious job of that. But when you're on that committee, it's unchecked power. They can do whatever they want. They can do whatever they want. And to them, Michigan's a better football team. And this is the ultimate flaw of the college football playoff. It's the beauty and the, the negative side of it as well. It's the beauty, it's the, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's all of that, of the playoff committee. I will stand pat that if you go through every single year of the college football playoff, the committee's gotten it right. Because the job at the end of the day is to have the four best teams in the playoffs. How you justify that? can be done in any way. We've talked about forever how easy it is to manipulate statistics to prove your argument. And I get it. Michigan State, I said it not only, I said 10 minutes ago, Michigan State has the worst pass defense in all of college football. And again, they're probably going to get their doors blown off in Columbus this weekend. But the Downside of this setup, despite the fact that I do believe that the committee has gotten all four of these teams right every single year. And by the way, the semifinals have almost always been blowouts, with the exception of like one or two scenarios. They're almost always blowouts. There's usually two teams that are cut above everybody else. It might be different this year, but historically, since the playoffs been out, the, the, the four, the semifinal games are both blowouts. The committee's job is to get the four best teams in, and they've done that every single year. But what sucks about it is then you can always ask the question in in situations like this, in contexts like this, why do we play the game? Why do we play the game? Why does it matter? Why do we keep score? Why do we have records? We can just look at like, – do we want to go back to the, to the BCS? Because that's basically what the committee said. The committee has Michigan ahead of Michigan State because of the BCS rules, which is statistics. The numbers are better, even though Michigan State beat Michigan. And people said, oh, well, that's not fair. we got to do it. Like Vito always says, right? Vito's a fan of a four-team playoff but using the BCS metrics. Well, then, if that's the case, the Michigan would, would be ranked ahead of Michigan State. To me, that's not right. I don't think that's the best way to do it. I think playing the games have to matter at some point. 
And what the committee's saying is picking the four best teams, the head-to-head doesn't necessarily matter. But at the same time, they said that it did matter between Oregon and Ohio State. They're saying it matters between Notre Dame and Cincinnati. I'd make the argument that Notre Dame is a better football team right now than Cincinnati based off of the games that I've watched, based off of how good Notre Dame has looked without their best player in Kyle Hamilton on that defense. They held held UVA, a really good offense, to three points last week. But there's a huge gap between Cincinnati and Notre Dame. And they have Cincinnati ranked three spots ahead of Notre Dame. And if it comes to it, Michigan, Michigan State both lose, and Cincinnati's at five and Notre Dame's at six, they'll probably still keep Cincinnati ahead, assuming Cincinnati wins out and is undefeated by the end of the season. Because in that context, the head-to-head will matter, even though Notre Dame has played a tougher schedule. But in their eyes, they see Michigan as the better team. And so when you make something like this subjective, head-to-head doesn't necessarily matter. If the committee thinks Michigan's a better team, they're going to rank them ahead. And the problem with this is that that's an opinion. The only true way to figure out which team is better is for the teams to play. And they did. And Michigan State won. But the committee can just say they're a better team. They're a better team, so they should be ahead. And I I don't know. I don't think that's right. Now, Oklahoma lost, so they dropped all the way down from eight to 13. That's great news for Cincinnati. Now, the one team left in the Big 12 that can hurt Cincinnati's chances of making the playoff is Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, I I forget who they play this week. I think it's TCU or Texas Tech. No, it's Texas Tech. They beat Texas Tech, who's a 6-4 and team. They're going to a bowl. Not a bad team. They fired their head coach. They already have the new coach in there. Cincinnati needs Oklahoma State to lose. They need all three, Baylor, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State, to all have two losses, which there's a good chance that happens. Because Oklahoma State, like I said, they're playing Texas Tech this weekend. Then they go, they host in Bedlam. They host Oklahoma. They win both of those. They'd be 11-1, and or sorry, uh, yeah, 11-1. and And then they'll go play for the conference championship. I want to see Oklahoma State lose at least one more of these games because they're not in one right now. So one more Oklahoma State's out. But I want to see them beat Oklahoma first. And Oklahoma's going or is, is hosting Iowa State this week. So they can easily beat Iowa State. They could also easily lose. I wouldn't be shocked to see either one. Uh, Iowa State has their six and four. They are playing for pride at this point. They're going to a bowl game. But Iowa State needs this to to justify all the preseason hype because they're losing Brock Purdy. They're losing Brees Hall. They're losing so many of the guys that made that Iowa State team so good. So that should be actually, I think, will be a hard-fought game, especially because we have no idea who's even starting a quarterback for Oklahoma. And we'll see how Oklahoma bounces back if they're losing their first. Then Oklahoma, again, has to go to Oklahoma State to play. Baylor, they have two losses. They need mayhem. They did their job. They beat Oklahoma. 
So Cincinnati, you don't have to worry about the Big 12 more than likely unless Oklahoma State wins out, in which case an undefeated Cincinnati versus a one-loss Big 12 champion Oklahoma State. That'll be a really interesting debate. And my fear is that the committee would have Cincinnati ranked behind them. Now, the other little caveat here is what happens if Alabama loses to Georgia in the SEC championship game. Now, Alabama has to play Arkansas this week. Arkansas bodied Texas A&M early on in the season. I don't think Arkansas is going to win this game. It's in Tuscaloosa, so it's not likely. I wish, I wish this game was in Arkansas, but it's not. But if somehow Arkansas pulls off the upset, then Cincinnati's sitting pretty. And Cincinnati will jump up into the top four. If Alabama loses in a close game to Georgia, at that point they'd be what? 11-2 and two versus a potential 12-0, and 13-0 Cincinnati team? That will be a really, really tough matchup and a tough decision for the committee. And if it's a blowout and Georgia wins handily, I do think Cincinnati gets him. Now, the only other way here that Cincinnati might be in trouble is if Michigan beats Maryland this weekend and then beats Ohio State and goes on to win the Big 12 champion, Big 10 championship. Because then Michigan will leapfrog Cincinnati, even if Cincinnati's undefeated. Oregon can still lose. They have a really big game against Utah this weekend. And that one, again, would help Cincinnati. So Cincinnati's not out of it. The Oklahoma loss was huge. The best thing that can happen for Cincinnati is Ohio State running through the Big Ten, knocking Michigan State out this weekend, knocking Michigan out the weekend after, winning in the Big Ten championship. And then Ohio State will probably leapfrog Oregon, but Oregon's more than likely going to have to beat Utah twice. Now, if they beat Utah this weekend, there is a chance that Arizona State might end up coming from the Pac-12 South and playing Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. And if that happens again, too, you know, I, I don't know what's better for Oregon, but going to Salt Lake City, beating Utah this weekend would be a really big win, would cement Oregon at three unless they were to lose in the Pac-12 championship. And then you have a two-loss Oregon versus undefeated Cincinnati. It's not impossible for Cincinnati to get in. That's what I'm rooting for. They have a huge test this weekend. They're playing SMU. This is going to be the first big, close, like two really good teams going at it here uh, in for Cincinnati since the Notre Dame game. They beat SMU. And if they win convincingly, they're safe at five. If they then go on to beat Houston, who is now ranked in the top 25 in the Big 12 championship, or sorry, the AAC championship, then you have an undefeated Cincinnati with multiple top 25 wins. And Cincinnati will probably at that point give themselves the best chance. And we've said it all year. Cincinnati has to go undefeated. They have to be 12 and up. It's out in front of them. Let's see if they do it. All right, we're going to take a quick break, come back, go through our NFL games, go through some college games, gives you picks, and uh, we'll get you on the way for the weekend. The NFL weekend. A lot of really interesting games this weekend. Uh, I'm not sure if we're going to get continuing this trend of, of a ton of upsets or maybe things mellow out a little bit. My, my hunch is that we're going to get a lot more of the favorites winning. 
but I saw a stat this week. I forget what the exact numbers are, but it was basically the disparity of just like home teams losing outright this year. Like there've been more road wins this year than we've had uh, in almost any other year in the NFL. We talked about it on, on Tuesday's pod, just how weird this season has been. Um, it's not totally uncommon to only have a handful of teams up at the top that you really believe in, but you know, Monday night is a perfect example. Like I, I think we all know Robert Woods is a good player, but the difference in the Rams with and without Robert Woods, the offense, I mean, San Francisco just smacked the Rams in the mouth on Monday night. And it's a very good kind of encapsulation of what this season has been, which has just been weird. Uh, you know, again, like the, the actual records may not seem that far off from in years past, but a lot of the outcomes feel different than what we're used to. So there's a lot to be, uh, there's a lot to get through here. Uh, and, and like I said, I think this week we might see more of a little bit kind of balancing out, but there's some games here that are going to be interesting to kind of see. So uh, let's go, let's go through them. Uh, the Thursday game, Again, our weekly tradition of you guys getting to laugh at us about how wrong we are. Because like last week, we all, <laughs> Scotty and I are hammering the Ravens, talking about Lamar Jackson as an MVP, talking about the Ravens as, hey, are they a sneaky Super Bowl team coming out of the AFC? And they lose to Miami on Thursday night. And this Thursday night, we have a Super Bowl rematch. One of the most historic Super Bowls in NFL history. The Patriots going to Atlanta. Atlanta's first chance to redeem themselves after 28 to three. Again, I mean, I, I remember exactly, exactly where I was. Uh, there's a story that I will not be sharing on the air from that night. Uh, it was the Lady Gaga halftime performance. That was a, that was a uniquely special Super Bowl. And the Patriots, Tom Brady, it's the thing that really cemented I think the the Tom Brady is the go. It was the Super Bowl that tied him with Joe Montana, but there's no Tom Brady. All right, we got Mac Jones going up against the Falcons here. Now the Falcons just got shit pumped, absolutely destroyed by the Dallas Cowboys, and I would expect them to come back. You know, if that wasn't if the Super Bowl loss and the redemption from that wasn't enough to get you hyped up for this game, I don't know what is. But remember too, I don't know. I'd actually be curious. If I look through the roster, I wonder. I don't think there's anybody left on the Falcons team currently from that Super Bowl team, with the exception of, of course, Matt Ryan. So this is a big Matt Ryan revenge game. But remember, too, the Patriots of that time, that Super Bowl, the year that they they lost to the Eagles, like they were a more offensive team than a defensive team. Tom Brady was kind of the heart and soul there, and this team is built very very differently. New England is a, a defense first ball control, run it down your throats. The Falcons are a bad defense and I don't really see anybody who's going to be able to challenge Mac Jones, especially in the secondary, but it's a short week, right? And you have a rookie quarterback and how does the rookie quarterback kind of get prepped on a short week? Maybe he's not going to think as much. Maybe they're going to simplify the playbook a little bit, but he's so smart. He's so cerebral when it comes to playing the quarterback position. I think he's going to be fine. And I think the Patriots who are supposed to be getting Damian Harris back for this game, they're going to be able to run the ball. 
And whether it's Ramondre, even if, if Damian Harris doesn't play in this game, Ramondre Stevenson, he proved, you know, again, 100 yards, two touchdowns last week against the Browns defense with some guys who, you know, a, a good defense, at least a perceived good defense. Even still, you compare the Browns to the Falcons. One defense is far more talented, far more special. Uh, right now, the Pats are a six and a half point favorite on the road. The Pats are also four and zero on the road this year. I'm going to take New England to cover the six and a half. It's a favorable number, right? You get you get that little half point. So even if it ends up being a touchdown game, uh, which I don't think it will, I think it'll be more than that. You know, you, you're still going to be able to cover the spread there relatively easily. But again, if Matt Ryan comes out and this is the Matt Ryan revenge game, we've seen the Falcons be one of those up and down teams all season where sometimes they look awesome. Sometimes they look terrible. Sometimes they get blown out by you know 20 points by the Eagles in week one, or they get destroyed by the Cowboys like we saw last week. And then we've seen other games where they're hanging around trying to beat the, the New Orleans. They did beat the New Orleans Saints, right? Like we've seen them beat good teams and good defenses. I just think there's not enough there. Still no Calvin Ridley. Uh, I will say this, Kyle Pitts is an interesting matchup because I don't know who on New England is going to be matched up with him. Like I said, they're probably going to play a lot of zone tonight. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. I still like New England to win this game comfortably. So that's tonight. That brings us to the Sunday games. The first on, on the list that we're going to go through is Indianapolis at Buffalo. Now, this line, Buffalo is a six-point favorite at home. This is a – I'm not going to say it's a must-win for Buffalo because it's a long season and there's a lot that can happen. But this is kind of a must-win, all right? Buffalo is down two starters on the offensive line. One of their offensive linemen is out from COVID. The other one got hurt before last week. Uh, they still looked good, but still not 100% like the team that we saw a year ago. We talked about how this – the, the offense just, just doesn't quite look the same, doesn't quite feel the same. But being down two starting offensive linemen hurts. That being said, Darius Leonard on the other side, he's banged up. Not sure if he's going to be playing on Sunday. That's going to be a kind of game-time decision for the Colts. Can Jonathan Taylor run the ball? Or does Buffalo say, again, Buffalo's defense has been awesome this year. How much pressure can you get on Carson Wentz and how, how effectively can you stop the run? Those are going to be two things for Buffalo here. Because I think the offense, even with backup offensive linemen in there, I do think they should be able to throw the ball here. The Colts are have a banged-up secondary. Josh Allen needs a get-right game. But do they cover seven points? I'm leaning towards taking Buffalo here to cover. But I'm not totally sold on it yet. I see this most likely as a big Stephon Diggs game. Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders. Emmanuel Sanders has had some huge games this year, and then he's been non-existent in others. I wouldn't be surprised here if the Bills are able to throw it all over the yard. I'm going to take Buffalo to cover the seven points. But, again, Indianapolis is a team that has fought back in every single game that they've played. They've played every team tough, uh, whether they should be or not, like last week, right? They should have blown Jacksonville out. Well, Jacksonville hung around there. I still think Buffalo, they know they need this game. They know that the AFC is wide open. And I'll tell you this, Josh Allen saw what Patrick Mahomes did on Sunday night. If you don't think that that's in his head, shit, man, we, we got to get right here. We, we got to get this thing turned around. I guarantee you, I guarantee you he saw that. And the rest of the AFC is feeling the pressure from the Chiefs. I'm going to take Buffalo here to win comfortably. All right, next game. New Orleans 
going to Philadelphia. Looks like it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful November afternoon in Philly. Philadelphia is 0-4 at home right now. And they're a one-and-a-half-point favorite, which is crazy because Tennessee was a three-and-a-half-point favorite this time a week ago at home against New Orleans. I don't think the Eagles are even close to as good as Tennessee, but I think the public perception is driving this line more to the Philadelphia side. Now, this is a huge test for Philly. The Saints are the number one run defense in the NFL, and they just played three teams that they were able to successfully run the ball against three weeks in a row who all rank in the bottom third in run defense. So can the Eagles continue to run the ball the way that they've been able to run the ball? I doubt it. But can they run the ball enough and can Jalen – this is going to be a big Jalen Hurts game, right? Because if Jalen Hurts plays well, if he plays like he did before, if this Devontae Smith and Jalen Hurts connection where the number one ranked offensive player, according to PFF, over the last three weeks is Devontae Smith. In all of football, all positions, number one graded player on offense in the entire NFL for the last three weeks is Devontae Smith. I think Jalen Hurts will play well. But he's also played well three weeks in a row. And can you trust Jalen Hurts? I Every time you start to trust Jalen Hurts, this, is, this was his career in college. This is his career at Alabama, at Oklahoma. And so far in the NFL, it's been the same way. Every time you start to trust him, there's a letdown game. And even though I'm going to be pulling for the Eagles, remember, too, Philly dominated New Orleans in Philly a year ago. Dominated. When Drew Brees was out and it was Taysom Hill, similar to what we have going on, except it's going to be Trevor Simeon and a little bit of Taysom Hill. I still don't trust the Eagles' defense. I'm taking New Orleans here to win this game. And look, at one and a half, it's more or less a pick So I'm going to take New Orleans here to win. To win uh, not comfortable. I think it'll be a close game because the Eagles, again, Eagles are the kings of keeping games close at the end. But I, I don't know. I, I don't see Philly bouncing back here against New Orleans. Uh, Baltimore in Chicago. For whatever reason, I thought this game had already happened. I was going in my head. I was like, didn't Chicago and Baltimore already play? Uh, the last time we saw Chicago was on Monday night, the game that the referees, well, at least Bears fans would tell you that referees took away from them. Uh, the Ravens coming off that bad loss to Miami. You know, it sucks for the Bears. You have a a shortened buy because you played on Monday night. And then on top of that, you're playing a team that just is coming off of a Thursday night game. So they're getting kind of a mini buy and the bears have a shortened buy. So your bye week doesn't become as valuable as maybe it could, right? This has to be a get right game for Baltimore. You can't lose two in a row to two bad teams in Miami and then Chicago, I think it's going to be really fun watching Justin Fields go head-to-head against Lamar. I think there's an argument to be made, Kyler withstanding here, that in just running quarterbacks, two of the top three, you can probably throw Jalen Hurts in there. So, right, Kyler, uh, Lamar, Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen is in that conversation as well. But, like, Josh Allen's kind of different. Like, Josh Allen's still, like, he runs, but it's the goal line. It's the red zone runs. He's not breaking off these big runs like the other guys kind of do. Justin Fields has been a lot of fun to watch. And right now, Baltimore is a four-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Sorry, on the road in Chicago. Rainy, cold Chicago this weekend. Four-and-a-half. I think that favors Baltimore because I don't – I'm curious to see, again, 
the elements, the cold, you're going up against the decent defense, which version of Baltimore's defense are we going to get? We're going to get the high, high powered pass rushing defense of Baltimore who can cover really well in the secondary, or are we going to get the, the secondary where, or we're going to get the Ravens defense where, Hey, the bears are just going to give the Dave Montgomery. He's just going to run it down your throat. I think we see the better version of the Ravens defense. I think John Harbaugh historically has been very good off of a bye. I'm going to take Baltimore here to cover the four and a half. Uh, and, and I think Baltimore wins this game pr- pretty comfortably. But again, really, really fun matchup here between Justin Fields and Lamar Jackson, two young quarterbacks who, you know, I think both obviously we know Lamar has a bright future. He's already won an MVP. He's already played in the playoffs. But in terms of a rookie, it really does feel like we're starting to see Justin Fields take the kind of steps. It feels like the game's starting to slow down a little bit. And now he's letting his athleticism, you know, kind of help close the gap between what he's not seeing and not processing uh, from, you know, hey, you know, if you can close that gap, right? So it's like, hey, I'm not necessarily seeing the field, but my athleticism is giving me the opportunity to make plays and keep us in games. Uh, This is a huge game. And if Chicago plays well, if this ends up being close, I wouldn't be shocked, but I just think Baltimore needs like Baltimore needs this game similar to Buffalo. Like both teams are six and three. Both teams know that the AFC is up for grabs. And I think both teams have are, are in positions right now where if they win the games they're supposed to win. And for Buffalo, this game is one. And for the Ravens, this game is one as well. They're going to put themselves in a position. So I like both teams there to cover. Detroit at Cleveland. Five years ago, this would have been the worst game on your schedule. Now, not much has changed for the Lions, but they are coming off that big tie against, you know, Pittsburgh. Again, it's going to be cold and rainy in Cleveland. Still not sure about Nick Chubb, though it does seem like Nick Chubb is likely to play. Because remember, he was out for COVID, so his wait time should be over. We should get Nick Chubb back. And honestly, a week off for Nick Chubb is not a bad thing. I think Nick Chubb runs all over the place. But there's a good chance we see Case Keenum starting a quarterback at Cleveland right now. Baker Mayfield has taken an absolute beating. This is going to be a ground-and-pound game, and Cleveland's an 11-and-a-half-point favorite. I think we see a letdown game here for Detroit. You're coming off of the high, but it's also a disappointing tie, right? Like It's like, oh, we didn't lose a game. Okay, but we tied. So now what? Now what do we do? This is a really, really well-placed line. 11 and a half is a tough line to try to figure out here because I can see Cleveland winning this game by 30. But if it is Case Keenum and not Baker, are they going to be limited in the passing game? Now, so far, with the exception of the New Orleans game, I'm, I've, I have three, three of the four games I've picked, I've picked the favorite. And so I'm hesitant to pick another one in this game. But my gut is telling me that, hey, look, Cleveland, their defense should absolutely shut down Detroit. And the offense, if they can run the ball with Dearness Johnson and Nick Chubb, they're only probably another week away from having Kareem Hunt. They should be fine. Think Again, think about the Philadelphia Eagles did against this Detroit team just three weeks ago. Cleveland should be able to replicate that, and I think they will. I think they win big. I'm taking Cleveland to cover the 11 and a half, though. Again, it's a big line. I just think the letdown of like, hey, we, we can win this game. We have a field goal to win this game in overtime against Pittsburgh, and we tie. You know, we, we've talked about how Dan Campbell has gotten this team to play hard all season. 
that's a tough one to come back from. And I just think Cleveland ends up winning this game. And I think they take it over. You know, Detroit has been like close, hard-fought game, absolute blowout. Tough, hard-fought game. Justin Tucker hits a 66-yard field goal. Oh, and then we get blown out. That's kind of been the yin, the yin and the yang here for Detroit, except the yin is barely losing in a heartbreaking fashion, and the yang, or tying, and the yang is getting your doors blown off. So I'm going to take Cleveland. Tennessee in Houston. Now, Tennessee, we, we talked about this on Tuesday's pod, right? They, they deserve the credit. They deserve all the flowers. They, like, they're winning these games. They're winning them big. They're winning them comfortably, with the exception of kind of letting New Orleans sneak back into it. But it still wins. They won six straight games against playoff teams from last year. And now this is supposed to be the easy part of the schedule. Now, they're a 10-point favorite against Houston. We've seen Houston play New England tough, right? We've seen this Houston team play Cleveland tough. We've seen them go up against good defenses and and hang a little bit because people see Houston and they think, oh, it's a letdown game. You know, okay, like we should be able to roll here. I don't know if it's going to be that simple. And this is one of those where I'm looking at it right now thinking, okay, this might be a dumb pick on my part. But I kind of think Houston's going to keep this game close. And yes, Tennessee's been awesome, but they also lost to the Jets, right? No one in the NFL is impervious to not having a letdown game. And after the stretch that Tennessee just went on to cover a 10-point spread against another NFL team, Terod had one game back. He was very clearly rusty. I can see this one being really close in the first half, kind of like Miami and Buffalo a couple weeks ago, three to three in the end of the first half. I do think Tennessee's going to win the game, but at 10 points, this might be a dumb decision on my part, but I'm going to take Houston to cover here. I, 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 again, I, I think Tennessee wins the game, but Tennessee just had a close, you know, really close game. The two-point conversion against New Orleans doesn't end up working out. It's going to be a rain. We've got a lot of rain this weekend. A little bit warmer in Nashville, but it is going to be raining. So wet, sloppy, Mobile quarterback, maybe Tennessee comes in, puts the foot off the brake a little bit. I mean, that's who Tennessee's been since Mike Rabel's been there. Really good in the big games against the good teams. And then all of a sudden they have this like question mark game, like the Jets game this year. Like, what are you, what is this? And of course, I'm saying all this, recognizing that there's a really good chance that Tennessee just absolutely destroys them and it's not even close. But I think Houston will fight. I think Houston will show themselves as like, hey, we're here. Don't forget about us. Tarod's back, mobile quarterback, Philip Lindsay. Maybe it's crazy. But, again, it's one of those gut picks, and, and I'm going to take here uh, the, the Texans to cover. Uh, NFC North matchup. Green Bay Packers going to Minnesota. No need to worry about. Uh, any rain in this one in that beautiful stadium up in Minneapolis, which uh, has a special place in my heart, site of Super Bowl 52, NBD. But the Packers right now are only a one-and-a-half-point favorite against the Vikings. And I'll tell you what, for a team that's 8-2, and two, you're going up against a 4-5 and five team, and you're only a one-and-a-half-point favorite. I mean, the Packers are, are arguably the best team in football. I, I, In my opinion, I think they are the best team in football. Devontae Adams is there. Uh, no Aaron Jones, but you still have A.J. Dillon. All the wide receivers are healthy. It's 
right now it looks like Bakhtiari is going to play. But you got this Vikings team who plays everybody close. I say it every single week. There's only been one game this year that has not been a one-possession possession game for Minnesota. They're the best four and five team I think I've ever seen in the NFL. But Green Bay is only one and a half point favorite. Even if it comes down to a Mason Crosby field goal and Green Bay wins, unless they're down two, Green Bay is going to cover that spread. I'm taking Green Bay here all day. Like you're not going to get many games for the Packers in the regular season where they are one and a half point favorite. And are the Packers due for maybe a bit of a letdown? Sure. But after everything that they've kind of fought through, there's always one or two teams that just feels like they have that, that special sauce, right? That Big Mac sauce. Green Bay, I think, has the Big Mac sauce this year. The defense is playing really well. No Jair Alexander, so that could be problematic, right, if, if we get good Kirk Cousins this week. But Kirk Cousins, over his career, has not played well against the Packers or Aaron Rodgers. I'm going to take Aaron Rodgers. This is the uh, – I'm going to take Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay here to cover. But this is, this is the COVID bowl. This is the anti-vax bowl between, <laughs> between Aaron Rodgers and Kirk Cousins. Man. Uh, but, yeah, I, one and a half, take Green Bay here. That, that line I think is way too low. And I get Minnesota's kept games close. But one and a half, like I said, with the New Orleans game, uh, the New Orleans and Philly game, like that's more or less a pick them. So which team do you like better? Which team do you think is going to win? That, that, that's who you should pick there. Because, bar, again, barring a situation where it's a game-winning field goal and Green Bay's down two, Green Bay should be able to cover the one and a half. Uh, this next game sucks, and I'm going to spend as little time on it as possible. Miami Dolphins, New York Jets. This game's in East Rutherford. Miami's a three-point favorite. Joe Flacco. That's the, most, that's the only interesting part about this. No Mike White. Joe Flacco is the starting quarterback in this game. Wearing number 19, by the way, which just looks atrocious. No quarterback should be allowed to wear the number 19. I think that was Keyshawn Johnson's number when he played for the Jets, too. It just, no, just looks terrible. I hate the new Jets jerseys anyway. Look, do we see a little Joe Flacco is elite? Do we see a little Joe Flacco comeback here? Probably not. But it's only three. I think the Dolphins, I think, look, you had the big win, but you also had time to process it. You have a big upset like that. And then you get 10 days to kind of work through it. Brian Flores is a no-nonsense coach. I don't think he's going to let one win get to the head heads of, the, uh, of his team, the Dolphins. Um, the secondary for Miami is really good. The defense is playing really well. I don't know how the Jets are going to move the ball. And honestly, if it was Mike White, I'd say, hey, at least they have some sort of shot. But Mike White throws four touchdowns, four interceptions and no touchdowns. Uh, yeah, zero touchdowns last week before getting benched for Joe Flacco. Yeah, I think you got to go with the uh, with the Dolphins here. So I'm going to take Miami covering the three points. It's a low, it's small line. So again, touchdown, whatever, even if it's a field goal at the end, push. I don't know. I, I just, this game's just, this will be the forgotten game on uh, on Red Zone. People will be like, oh yeah, Dolphins and Jets play. And I'll tell you what, we will spend probably less time on Tuesday's pod next week talking about it than I've just spent right now. Washington football team going to Carolina. Now, this is a big game in terms of seeding. Now, Washington's coming off of a big win against Tampa Bay. Carolina off of a huge win against the Cardinals. 
both teams with big wins, both teams trying to figure out a way, hey, can we can we get back in the mix here? Is there any is there any world where we can actually kind of fight our way back into the playoff conversation? Uh, my my suggest my my pick would be I would want Washington to win the game because the Eagles have the head to head against the Panthers. I want to see that. But Cam Newton's starting quarterback right now going up against Ron Rivera. This is a total revenge game for Cam Newton. Now, Cam Newton gets all that emotion out that I'm back, right? He's freaking out, plays well, but doesn't actually start and play the whole game, just had limited stats. How quickly can he learn the offense? How much do they simplify it? But the, the number one, you know, X factor in this game is who's the best player? Who's the best player in, uh, between both of these teams? The number one player. It's probably the guy who went number one in your fantasy league since Christian McCaffrey. No Chase Young. He's done for the year with a torn ACL. That defensive line's not the same. And what you can do with Cam Newton, the runner, I think the Panthers win this game. Now, they're a three-and-a-half-point favorite, so could this game be close? Absolutely. But I still trust the Panthers, Matt Rule, that defense, to kind of get the job done. And I'm curious, too, as a play caller, as an offensive coordinator for Joe Brady, how is he going to use Cam Newton? Josh McDaniels wasn't quite able to figure it out. You got to remember, too, this is a healthy Cam Newton. Cam Newton really hasn't been healthy at all. He wasn't healthy in New England. At least he didn't look healthy in New England. He wasn't really able to throw the ball much. I think this is a healthy, revived team. They have the best player. They're going to rely heavily on Christian McCaffrey. If Christian McCaffrey gets hurt again in this game, all right, then maybe it's a different conversation. But just looking at it right now, from what we know, from what we see, I think you have to take Carolina. I'm going to take Carolina to cover the three and a half. Uh, I'm picking a lot of favorites here in this in this this week, but Carolina's at home. It's going to be a beautiful day, 65 and sunny in uh, in in Carolina there in Charlotte. So that's my pick. I like the Panthers. Moving on, the 49ers, big Monday night win, huge Monday night win. Uh, they looked fantastic. Debo Samuel, whew, that dude is a monster. He has been – he's absolutely exploded. And for a team that runs the ball as much as they do, for Debo to be in the top three, I believe, in, in receiving yards right now is nuts. And he was matched up one-on-one against Jalen Ramsey a lot in that game, and he torched him. He torched him a couple of times. He's big. He's physical. He's fast. They like to use him in the running game. And San Francisco is only a six-point favorite. Now, it's on the road. But the other thing I noticed, too, in that game was the Niners' defense – like, I know Robert Woods wasn't out there, but it's still Sean McVay. It's still Cooper Cup, the best wide receiver in football this year. Still Daryl Henderson. Still Matt Stafford. Like, that offense, and say what you will about OBJ, he only played a handful of snaps, but, like, there's a lot of talent there. There's a lot of talent for the L.A. Rams, even without Robert Woods. And for the Niners to play as good of defense as they did against a really smart coach in Sean McVay, I was floored. So to think here that the Niners' defense is now going to struggle against Jacksonville to the extent where San Francisco isn't able to cover six points, I just don't think it makes sense. So I'm going to stick with my gut. I'm going to stick with the running game here. We did see Jacksonville beat Buffalo a couple weeks ago. That game will never get out of my head. But the Niners' offensive line played really, really well. I think they'll be able to handle Josh Allen, Jacksonville, Josh Allen. Uh, and, and I think Jimmy G is doing such a good job of getting the ball out. You know, they didn't throw the ball a ton last week against the Rams, but when they did, it was just, it was, it was quick. 
You know, they, I, they even ran a read option that I had never seen before where Jimmy G is under center and they ran a stretch play to the right. Right. And when that happens, the entire, and the, the reason, you know, it's a read option and, and not in the sense of like snap back, you know, shotgun quarterbacks riding with the running back pulls it and then can throw it or run. No, this was Jimmy G's under center. And because again, this is how, you know, that it's a read option play. The, the offensive line can't go downfield. Right. So when that ball was snapped, the entire offensive line blocked down, right? Didn't go forward. They blocked down. And what that allows them is it's still basically a zone running scheme where the entire offensive line is going to block down. So even if he did hand the ball off to Elijah Mitchell or, or Jeff Wilson Jr., whoever, or Jermichael Hasty, whoever was back there, you could still run the ball the same way with the same effectiveness. But there was a quick slant option for Jimmy G coming out of the slot. I think it was Debo. It was Debo or, or Ayuk. And Jimmy G had to go with the center because as soon as the ball snapped, the entire offensive line is going to the right. So as the ball is being snapped, Jimmy G under center has to step with the offensive line to his right. He plants one foot back, had no grip on it. He went no laces and just slung it real quick. Boom. And it was like seven yards, but it was a really clever design. And, and Jimmy G strengths is pre-snap reads and getting the ball out quickly. And they're figuring out ways where they can run the ball they get the ball into Debo's hands and get the ball into Ayuk's hands. And Ayuk's really come on the last couple of weeks too. I think the Niners are, are definitely the pick here. I think the Niners have been really impressive this season. So we're going to take San Francisco here to cover the six. Uh, four o'clock window. We have the Bengals and the Raiders. Now, the Raiders coming off of it. Both teams are four, five and four. Bengals are three and two away. Raiders are three and two at home. This game's in Las Vegas. Cincinnati is a one-point favorite, right? This is like super pick them. The Raiders haven't looked good in the last couple weeks. They lose to the Giants. I think they had a bye, and then they lost to Kansas City. Uh, the interim head coach magic, we say it all the time, eventually will wear out. It happens in college a lot. It happens in the NFL a lot, and I think that's what we're seeing here. I think we're seeing the, the interim head coach magic has trickled out. It's gone. And then you add on top of it all the other stuff that Vegas has had to deal with, right? Just the, the John Gruden stuff alone would have been enough to derail a season, to be, to be a challenge to handle in a locker room. But then you add on the Henry Ruggs stuff. I don't know how the Raiders bounce back here. And on the Bengals side of things, the last time we saw the Bengals, they were getting the shit kicked out of them by Cleveland. So do we stay with that? Do we, do we, do we, which version are we seeing here? Cincinnati's been an up and down team, but they're still in the playoffs right now. Let's say, you know, Jacksonville, or sorry, let's just say Chicago pulls off the upset against Baltimore, Baltimore, six and four Bengals win in, in Las Vegas. They're six and four. All of a sudden the Bengals are the number one or the number one team in the AFC North. The Bengals are in the playoffs at that point. And they're definitely fighting for a wild card spot. Because remember, the Bengals beat the crap out of Baltimore. And the Raiders beat Baltimore. So we just got all this crazy stuff going on right now. The, uh, I forget what the theory is called, right? But, you know, we're all kind of beating each other. It's like this person beat this person, this person beat that person. And, you know, it's the, there's going to be listeners out here screaming to themselves in the car like, it's this, you fucking idiot. And, yes, I'm an idiot. We know that. Um, I'm taking Cincinnati. I think the secondary for the Raiders 
they played above their heads for the better part of the year, but they've also given up points all year. Yes, they have a good pass rush, but Joe Burrow does a good job when he's on time getting the ball out quick. Uh, and, and the other thing, too, is Jamar Chase, who was lighting the world on fire for the first seven or eight weeks of the season, really up until that Baltimore game and then the following week when they lose to Cleveland. I think we need, this is an interesting game for him, right? Because he had a couple of drops against Cleveland. He didn't look great against Cleveland. Cleveland did a really good job of scheming against them. But he's also not the only guy in that wide receiver room that scares me. T. Higgins has had a really good year. Tyler Boyd has been good. Uh, Autumn Tate has had up has had some good things. And Krishna Zuma, the tight end for them, has like legit Pro Bowl caliber talent. Like he's a ridiculous athlete. He looks exactly like Travis Kelsey. Like he's he has the exact same build. He doesn't he doesn't have the wiggle, right? The elusiveness, the foot, not all the footwork there. He's a little more just like kind of brute force. He's kind of like a modern day, like Brent Selleck. Like he's a good blocker, but he's also like big, strong, physical guy. And he's fast. And we've seen him break for some big plays. There's a lot of weapons. And the Raiders, too, are not a great run defense team. And I think we'll see a healthy dosage of Joe Mixon in this game. Cincinnati's only one point favorite. Take Cincinnati here. That's my that's my pick, at least. Um, I just I don't know. I, I don't I don't see how. The Raiders bounce back right now. This team just looks deflated. And they were – the way that they tried to come back against Kansas City of just throwing these Hail Mary-type balls, just Derek Carr praying that somebody came down with it, that's that's not a good plan, right? That, that's, that's, that's not the most effective strategy when you're playing in the NFL. So take Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati wins here. I think they win comfortably. Uh, this would probably be the game of the week, I would say, in most people's eyes. The Cowboys – on the road in Kansas City. Looks like a beautiful day in Kansas City. The Chiefs getting right, right? We're all in on the Chiefs. Chiefs, oh, they're back, they're back. Well, to quote the great Lee Corso, not so fast, my friend. Uh, Kansas City is a two-and-a-half-point favorite in this game, which is crazy to me because, yes, Kansas City's defense has been awesome. Uh, not awesome, but they've been better the last couple of weeks. They're going up against the best offense in football. I don't think they're going to be able to stop the run with Zeke and Tony Pollard. I think Sorensen's going to get torn apart by CeeDee Lamb, by Amari Cooper, by Michael Gallup. All three of those guys out there at the same time, unless you're playing straight nickel the whole time or unless you're putting Tyron Matthew. I mean, Tyron Matthew can't, can't do everything there. And, yeah, Chris Jones has been great, but he's the only guy. And you're also going up against an awesome offensive line. I'm shocked that Kansas City is the favorite here. I'm shocked by it. I think Dallas goes into Kansas City. I think this is an absolute statement game. I think it could be a bit of a shootout, but Dallas' defense is, is good. And remember, too, there's that guy, Trayvon Diggs, on the other side, eight interceptions this year already. That cat is going to be locked up against Tyreek Hill, which should be a, an absolutely phenomenal matchup. One of the best wide receivers in football going up against one of the best cornerbacks in football. I think Micah Parsons, I'm again, another guy I'm curious, right? Cause they did a little bit of having him play against Kyle Pitts in the, in, you know, pass protection last week. I'm curious how they use him with Travis Kelsey. I think this is Cowboys all day. I think the Cowboys make a statement and you're getting two and a half points. Yeah. Give me Dallas. Dallas wins this game. I feel very confident about that one. All right, and then the last of the 4 o'clock window, Arizona and Seattle. Now, 
the last two weeks, last two weeks, Kyler Murray has been, uh, and DeAndre Hopkins have both been uh, game time decisions. As of right now, I'm pulling up the injury report here uh, for the league. We have seen a little bit of news about Kyler Murray practicing, right? We've seen a little bit, same, same deal with, uh, um, with DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, Kyler Murray limited at practice on Wednesday. And this is Thursday that we're, we're doing this. Chase Edmonds is on injured reserve. And DeAndre Hopkins, uh, he's also questionable, did not practice Wednesday. So one, Murray, limited practice. Hopkins did not, but this is Wednesday. So obviously more news will come out Thursday, Friday, and then we'll, we'll find out most likely on Sunday whether or not we get both of these guys. Uh, Arizona's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I think losing Chase Edmonds hurts because the one thing that made James Conner so good in that backfield was having another running back there to take some of the pressure off. Him. And now we're getting back to the James Conner that we saw in Pittsburgh where it's like, all right, we got to give him 25 times a game. He's not as efficient that way. And you also lose Chase Edmonds, Chase Edmonds the receiver. You know, James Conner can catch the ball a little bit out of the backfield, but that's not really what he's, you know, they've used him that way in order to keep defenses honest, because otherwise if, if you never threw to him when he was in the game, then you would just always stack the box every time he's there. So they have used him a little bit in the passing game, but Chase Edmonds is a special receiving back, right? Like we thought forever when it's him and Kenyon Drake or him and David Johnson, you know, oh, Chase Edmonds, he's just a little scat back. Like, no, he's more than that. He can run between the tackles, but he's also really, really dangerous in open field. And that's what honestly his strength is. No Chase Edmonds hurts Arizona. And Kyler Murray hasn't seen the field in three weeks. He's on a bad ankle. He's not going to be the mobile Kyler Murray that we're used to. His change of direction, the stuff that really makes him special, is not going to be 100% there. And Seattle's defense has really come on. Like, really come on. If it's Colt McCoy, I'm definitely taking Seattle. Uh, but right now, it's two-and-a-half-point favorite for Arizona. No Kyler Murray, or maybe on Kyler Murray, maybe Andre, Andre Hopkins. Like, look, if, if both of those guys end up playing and they win, all right, I'll take that loss. But after seeing how Colt McCoy just floundered against the Panthers and now Seattle's defense is coming on and Jamal Adams, I know he doesn't really catch the ball, you know, the way that, you know, he, at least in terms of pass defense, he's more of a, a hybrid linebacker. He's basically a Cam, Cam Chancellor, uh, though Cam Chancellor is actually pretty good in, uh, in pass coverage as well. Uh, you know, Jamal Adams is still a weapon. You still have Bobby Wagner. There's going to be no run game for the Cardinals in this game at all. So it's entirely going to fall on Kyler Murray's shoulders. And if Kyler Murray has a banged up ankle, I don't know. I, I, to me, it's just you get Russell Wilson back. Cardinals defense didn't look great. They can force a couple turnovers. I don't know. Uh, uh, my gut is telling me Seattle here. Uh, mainly because I just don't trust the health of Kyler Murray. And I said this last week, I said this on, on Tuesday's pod, that's the fear right now with Kyler Murray. Is this, is this who he is? Is he the guy who gets hurt in November every single year? And now, you know, they looked awesome through the first two months, but can his body physically take the punishment? I don't know. I don't know if it can. And we're not sure if we're going to see him this week or if it's going to be now three weeks in a row. And remember, too, the last time we did see Kyler – was that Thursday night game against Green Bay. And he didn't look great in that game either against a, a good defense, but also a defense that didn't have Jair Alexander despite all of the weapons that they had on the outside. So give me Seattle. I'm, 
you know, I picked a lot of favorites early on. I think this is an upset. And I think Russ, that dude's a psychopath, Russell, Russell Wilson, like an absolute psycho. And, and, and like a good way, like he's not like out here killing people. Right. So like there's different types of psychopaths, but his commitment to excellence really is special and it makes him kind of a tool and kind of a, a weird guy, but it also makes him a damn good quarterback. And after getting shut out for the first time in his career last week in a game that they definitely could have won, he's going to come back. I think fired up. It's a divisional game. It's one of those where it's like, Hey, any of these division games, you never know, especially with the NFC West. I'm going to take Seattle. I feel comfortable now. Sunday night, the Pittsburgh Steelers going to the Los Angeles chargers. Uh, this is going to be like 80% Steeler fans. Steeler fans travel better than any other fan base in football. Uh, more than the Cowboys, more than the Eagles, more than any other crazy fans you can think of in the NFL. The Steelers fans travel and they're everywhere. This is going to be a, a tough environment for a team that honestly, like you struggle enough. You want it. You hope that you get an opportunity to, to go play somewhere that feels like home and the stadium's beautiful. Uh, TJ Watt is banged up. So that's one positive here for the Chargers, but TJ Watt's banged up for the Steelers. Joey Bosa was listed as a close contact for COVID this week. So now his status for Sunday is in jeopardy. Now as a close contact and as a vaccinated player, he has a higher likelihood of being able to get back onto the field quicker. TJ Watt, after what looked like for sure torn ACL, ended up just hurting his knee a little bit, spraining his knee, hurting his hip a little. Uh, this game, to me, feels kind of like a pick -em. Like I can see it going either way. But Vegas sees the Chargers as a six-point favorite. Now, losing the pass rush is big. The Chargers need a big game coming back. But can they cover six points? I don't know. I don't see it. I, I think the Chargers could win a close game here, but I don't think they cover the six. I'm going to take the Steelers to cover the six points here uh, on the road. I know it's cross-country, but statistics show that that's actually not as big of a deal as people like to make it out to be. So I'm going to take the Steelers here to cover the six, but I think this game comes down to a field goal because the Steelers, even without the chargers, well, they are, they did lose Mika Fitzpatrick too, which that one hurts. Oh man. Now I'm second guessing myself. Oh, damn. I forgot about Mika Fitzpatrick. I did all the, I do all these notes for the show and I completely forgot Mika Fitzpatrick tested positive for COVID. All right. I'm going to reset on that one. I'm going to say that the chargers, or got you going to cover. I don't know. The Chargers need a win. I say it every week. We all get a scratch-off game here. I'm going to take the Chargers. Uh, last and uh, probably not least, probably middle of the pack here, the Giants are going to Tampa Bay. It's a bit of a revenge game, right? Monday night last year, the Giants beat Tampa Bay. It was one of those, oh, what's wrong with Tampa Bay? Tampa Bay's lost two in a row with a bye sandwiched in between the two. I think you got to go with the Bucs to win here, right? I mean, the Bucs have to win this game. But it's an 11-point spread. Last time we saw the Giants, they had beaten the Las Vegas Raiders. And the week before that, they almost beat Kansas City on Monday night. Can they keep this one close? Maybe. But I also kind of feel like the Giants are due for a letdown themselves. Looks like Saquon will probably be back, which is good. Uh, looks like the wide receiving core finally for the Giants is starting to get healthy. Kenny Galladay, 
as well as Kadarius Tony looks like he's healthy, fully healthy coming back here. Um, but Tampa Bay needs this one and they need a big and the one primetime slot for whatever reason this year, where it seems like there's been the most blowouts has been on Monday night. So maybe that's, you know, wishing too much here or whatever. 11 points is a lot. I just don't trust Danny Dimes. Vita Vey is out. I'm going to take the points for the Giants. I don't like it. Uh, I think Tampa Bay wins this game, but I don't think they win by 11 or more, by 12 or more. I mean, that, that, that's like a blowout blowout. Uh, so I'm going to take the Giants to cover here on Monday night. Um, they get the bye plus the extra day. Give me the Giants here to, uh, to cover. Uh, that's our NFL picks. Uh, I will update you guys now on our standings. Should have done this in the beginning here. Uh, last week, Scotty and I both ended up going, uh, I believe, six and eight in the NFL. Pulling it up, you'll hear the papers. Yeah, six and eight in the NFL last week. Scotty and I both. Uh, Scotty went 0 and 5 in college. I went 3 and 2. Rough week for, for Scotty. Um, and we did not have veto on the last Friday pod. So that brings our season totals up to Scotty is 25, 32 in college, veto 30 and 12. I'm 31 and 31. Scotty is 68, 66 and one in the NFL. Veto is 51, 52 and one in the NFL. And I'm 75, 73 and one in the NFL. Uh, and then against the spread overall on the season, Scotty dips below 500 for the first time in a while. That college football game weekend really, really hurt him. He's 93, 98 and one. Vito is 81, 64 and one. And I am 106, 104 and one on the year. That brings us to our college football picks. Now I have five games here. There are some interesting matchups, right? It's not going to be one of those weekends where it's like, hey, there's just all day good games. There's some middle ground games, right? I, all the Big 12 games, Iowa and Iowa State, that game should be pretty entertaining. Uh, the Baylor going to Kansas State, Kansas State 7-3. and three. Don't sleep on the Wildcats. They've been good this year. In fact, Kansas State's actually a one-point favorite at home against Baylor. And then, of course, we have Oklahoma State going to Texas Tech. Oklahoma State's a 10-point favorite here, but – Lubbock's not always the easiest place to play, man. It's a weird, weird town. Um, but the games we're going to be picking. First one, Wake Forest is going to Clemson. Now, Clemson, we everybody wrote off Clemson really early, and I get it, right? They lost the game to Georgia, and then all of a sudden, it's these, these close, ugly games. The offense looks completely, completely inept, right? They lost to Georgia week one. Then they beat the crap out of South Carolina State. They only beat Georgia Tech by six then they lose to nc state at nc state in raleigh then it's a close win against bc close win against syracuse or they lose the pit and then since then right and remember all these games too they scored three points against georgia they scored 14 against georgia tech 21 against nc state 19 against bc 17 against syracuse 17 against pit well after that pit game, the offense started to kind of pick up a little bit. 20 point, or sorry, 30 points against Florida State, 30 points again against Louisville. They hung up 44 on UConn. And right now, Clemson's seven and three. Now, is it a good record? No, not by any means. But they only have two conference losses. 
So if they were to beat Wake Forest, they still wouldn't have enough to leapfrog them in the standings to make their way to the uh, the ACC championship unless Wake Forest were to stumble in the final week of the season, which I, I'm pulling up their schedule now. I forget who they're playing. Uh, they go at BC, final game of the year. Um, Wake Forest, obviously, they've been one of the darlings this season. They're up to 10 in the college football playoff rankings. But Clemson's defense is salty, one of the best in all of college football. For as bad as the offense has been, and yes, the offense is coming along here, Clemson's defense is ridiculous. But Clemson is a four-and-a-half-point favorite at home here. Vegas does not trust Wake Forest. I don't trust their defense. I trust the offense. So this, again, kind of like we talked about Ole Miss versus Texas A&M last week, right? Who's going to win? Is it going to be Ole Miss's offense that powers through and then plays good enough defense to slow down the Texas A&M offense? Or was Texas A&M's offense going to shut down the Ole Miss – or Texas A&M's defense going to slow down the Ole Miss offense and then, you know, vice versa, right? So this is – can Wake Forest offense, can Sam Hartman and – and those guys out there, are they going to be able to do enough to put up points against Clemson where their defense, which hasn't been good, but neither has the Clemson offense, do not have to slow them down? To me, I think Clemson's offense is starting to hit a little bit of a rhythm. All right. Not great by any means. They don't have the skill, guys. DJ Uyunglele has played better over the last few weeks. We've got number two. He's still pretty young. Like we all remember him slinging it all over Notre Dame last year. But that is an outlier when you look at all of his career starts so far. Four and a half is not a ton. I think this is going to be a tight game. I think, I mean, Wake Forest, their last three games have all come down to a field goal. Uh, I think we see the same thing here, and I think Wake Forest covers the four and a half. But I actually think Clemson's going to win this game. I, I really do. And I'll say this, if Clemson covers too, I wouldn't be shocked because Wake Forest defense is bad. It's, it's not a good defense. They're eerily similar to what North Carolina was last year. Uh, and, and I think Clemson's going to be able to move the ball pretty well. But I think Wake Forest's offense, because though Clemson's defense has been really good this season, it's progressively kind of gotten worse as more and more guys are getting banged up throughout the course of the season. So I think there'll be enough there for Wake Forest to put up, you know, 30 points-ish. I just think Clemson's going to be able to kind of hang with them because of how bad Wake Forest's defense is on the other side. Uh, the next game here, I have Arkansas, number 21, Arkansas, going to Tuscaloosa. Now, Alabama is, is a 20-and-a-half-point favorite. Arkansas hasn't covered a 40-point spread against Alabama in, like, four years. It's been a long time. And right now, it's only projected to be a three-touchdown game, right? Well, I think Arkansas is actually going to give Alabama some trouble. We've seen Alabama struggle against LSU. We saw them lose to Texas A&M. We've seen them beat really, you know, we've seen them beat teams really badly. And it does seem like every time Alabama plays the Mercer or the Citadel or one of those FCS teams, it feels like Alabama can always just hang up a shitload of points and they come back from that game. It's like, boom, we're ready to go. But the one thing Arkansas has that no other team outside of LSU really has are the big guys up front. Now, Texas A&M has them on the defense side of the ball. They also have some good offensive linemen as well. But Arkansas's offensive line is going, to be, is going to be really tough to beat for Alabama. Alabama's defensive line is not the guys – it's not the team we're used to thinking of, right? There's no Dante Hightower. There are no Christian Barmores on this team. There aren't guys who are, who are going to come in and really affect 
the, the line of scrimmage on defense. And I think Alabama's defense has been suspect. And K.J. Jefferson, the quarterback at Arkansas, has been really fun to watch. He's a big, mobile quarterback. He's kind of Big Ben-ish, but he's actually a better runner than Big Ben. He's a better athlete. I think Arkansas is going to be able to do some things. I don't think that they beat Alabama. The big question for Arkansas is, is the defense going to be good enough to slow Alabama down? Because they're not going to be able to go score for score against Alabama. But I do think the defense will be good enough. I think they have some really good defensive linemen up there uh, in, uh, in, in Arkansas. And I do think that they're going to be able to get some pressure against Bryce Young. But Bryce Young has been awesome this year. I'm going to take Arkansas to cover the 20 and a half. But I do think Alabama wins the game. SMU, the Mustangs, team favorite here. Uh, I am bummed that we don't have Vito and Scotty on this pod because we've shouted out Grant Calcaterra and the Calcaterra family all year. Tanner Mordecai, both those guys transferred from Oklahoma and, and have been awesome for the Mustangs. Uh, Mustangs lost to Houston and then lost to Memphis in back-to-back weeks. But this was still one of the best offenses in all of college football. This is a huge test for Cincinnati. Cincinnati has to win this game. They have to win it by probably 10 or more points in order for the committee to really consider it a high-quality win because the committee hasn't really respected SMU, I think, the way that most college football respects SMU. And I get it. The Memphis loss sucks. But Memphis also beat Mississippi State, who is currently number 25 in the college football playoff rankings, even though they have four losses. Mississippi State just beat Auburn. Mississippi State is a is a good football game. The Egg Bowl this year between Mississippi State and Ole Miss is going to be awesome. Memphis beat them. Memphis also beat SMU. So Memphis isn't the Memphis when uh, Mike Norvell was there. No, but they're also not a terrible football team. They're five and five. They beat an SEC team, right? So losing to Memphis shouldn't be held against SMU as much as possible. And then the Houston loss for SMU. Houston's in the top twenty five right now in the college football playoff rankings. So you got to give the respect to to SMU is like, this is a good team. This is, again, one of the best offenses in college football. You have to respect them. I still think Cincinnati's going to win the game. I don't know. For me, it's like Cincinnati has gotten by in a lot of these games where they they know that they should win. This is going to be the first time that they're tested. I think they come out with a special kind of energy. It's at home, and they know what's on the line. And with Oklahoma losing, like they, they can see the path, right? The path is getting closer and closer. They know, especially if uh, Michigan State loses to Ohio State this weekend, right? That's another block. They need all these chips to fall, right? Michigan's going to hopefully lose the next week, right? So, like, Cincinnati's path is getting clearer and clearer. There's a good chance Cincinnati wins this. Oregon loses to Utah. Cincinnati is is in the top four next week. If Ohio State wins and wins convincingly over Michigan State and Oregon loses to Utah, Cincinnati will be in the top four to win over SMU this week. Absolutely. Because the committee said that they were actually pretty comfortable keeping Cincinnati at five this week, that despite Michigan's win in Happy Valley, that that wasn't enough to leapfrog them because Cincinnati looked good against USF. So Cincinnati sees what's in front of him. Luke Fickle is one of my favorite coaches in college football. I love Cincinnati in this game, but can they cover 11 and a half? That's going to be the question here. We haven't seen Cincinnati look great in a while. I think they're due. I'm going to take Cincinnati here to cover the 11 and a half. I think they win big. I'm sorry, Grant. I'm sorry, Calcaterra family. I'm sorry, Vito. I hope it's a good game. This is definitely going to be one of the games that's on my TV. 
uh, at 3.30 on Saturday. Two more games here. Oregon at Utah, the game we were just talking about. Going to Salt Lake City, playing in that stadium in front of that crowd is hard. How hard, do you ask? Well, Utah's a three-point favorite against the number three team in the country. And yes, Utah's 23 right now. And yes, Utah's 73 as a whole. Utah, we didn't get into it a whole lot, but Utah's had a really hard year emotionally. We talked about like what happened with the Raiders. A different kind of tragedy happened for Utah. Utah has had two different players in the last six months from their team be killed and were, were shot. This team has overcome a lot. Charlie Brewer was their quarterback. He transfers out uh, about four weeks into the season. And since then, Utah has been on an absolute tear. This team is, is playing inspired football. They are a really, really good team. They lost to BYU week two. They lost to San Diego State. San Diego State's been in the top 25, right? BYU is the number uh, 13-ranked team in the country, 14-ranked team in the country right now. Not a bad loss. The Oregon State loss, look, it's not great, but Oregon State's also not like the same old Oregon State where it was used to, where it's like, hey, Oregon State hasn't been in a bowl since 2012 or 2013, right? Oregon State's a pretty good football team. And then you look at the other games, right? They beat Washington State handily. They beat the crap out of USC. They win by two touchdowns against Arizona State. They beat UCLA by 20. They hang up 52 against Stanford, and then they easily roll through Arizona. This is a monstrous, monstrous game for the Utes. And they know that, hey, they're in control to go win a Pac-12 championship this year. And they also know that the team they're going to have to play to beat in the Pac-12 championship game is the team that they're playing this weekend. I think the Utahs are going to – I think the Utes are going to try to make a statement. I, I really do. Do they cover three? I don't know. But I know that this is a tough place to play. And for as, as good as I do think Oregon is, and, yes, Oregon beat Ohio State when Ohio State was, was not a great team. They almost lost that game to Fresno, Fresno State, right? They lost to Stanford, though I've defended that a lot. Then they beat Cal by a touchdown, which sh they should have won by more than a touchdown. 24 to 17, they should have won that game much more handily. UCLA, that was a three-point game. Oregon arguably could have lost to UCLA. They blow out Colorado, good. They only beat Washington by 10. And then they had a two-touchdown one against Washington State. The last time this team had been tested, you could say Washington, but Washington ends up firing their coach a week later. This Utah team, this is only the second-ranked matchup for Oregon all season. I think – think Utah's going to do it. It's a 7.30 primetime game. It's going to be a 4.30 kickoff for them out on the West Coast. I think Utah's going to do it. Actually, I don't know. Utah might be mountain time. So maybe it's a 5.30 kick. Either way, it's primetime ESPN. Herb Street and Fowler are going to be on the call. This is a monstrous game. I'm going to take Utah here. I think Utah pulls the upset. I'm, I'm really excited to watch this one. Oregon just I get the Ohio State win is the best win in college football this year. I'm just not sold on it. I'm not. And that leaves us with the game of the week. And we say it's the game of the week because it's number four versus number seven. But Ohio State is favored right now by 19 points. 19-point favorite. Yikes. <laughs> uh, I don't know. This is, a, this is a game I really want Michigan State to look competitive. 
I really do. You know, Michigan State, again, they've been such a good store. I did it in the open there about Mel Tucker and how awesome he's been. But the offense for Ohio State has been awesome. Okay. The last five games against comparable defenses, though, right? So they had Ohio State had two wins in this stretch since the Oregon game that were close, low, lower scoring games, right? They beat Penn State 33 to 24, and then they beat Nebraska 26 to 17. They were home against Penn State, and Penn State put up a big fight, but ultimately the offense just kind of pushed through. Nebraska, it was at Nebraska, and Nebraska has a good defense. They have a lot of really, really good defensive players, and they played really, really hard. The problem in Nebraska is not on defense. It's on the offensive side of the ball. It's Adrian Martinez. It's all those guys, right? But when you look at the teams, and all of these teams I'm about to mention have better passing defenses than Michigan State. Okay, Rutgers, they put up 52, and CJ Stroud threw four touchdowns. Maryland put up 66 Another four-plus touchdowns for C.J. Stroud. Indiana, 54, throwing the ball. At Rutgers, home against Maryland, at Indiana. Then you look to last week, home against Purdue. A better passing defense than Michigan State. 59 points, and C.J. Stroud threw five touchdowns. And that's not even including Travion Henderson, the running back, who has been a revelation as a freshman. Michigan State doesn't have a chance. And I know there are Big Ten fans that listen to this pod and others people who hate Ohio State that listen to this pod. I would rather see Michigan State pull off the upset. They have to play the game of their fucking lives to have a shot. I don't even think they covered the spread. I don't think they come close to covering the 19. I think this is a blowout. I think Ohio State is rolling. I think C.J. Stroud has an, an extra level of confidence, an extra gear that he's hit. The real test is when they go on the road to Ann Arbor. Because the one thing that Michigan has that Michigan State doesn't have is the ability to pass rush. Michigan State, Michigan is a better defensive team in the secondary than Michigan State. Michigan State doesn't have those guys up front that scare you. And Michigan has two. Hendrickson and Ojabu, I believe is how it's pronounced. Both of those guys are going to be probably playing on Sundays. Both those guys are monsters. And the one thing that can disrupt a young redshirt quarterback in a place like Ann Arbor is a nasty pass rush. Michigan State doesn't have it. They don't have it on the back end. And as much as I love Kenneth Walker, he can run for 250 yards. It's not going to matter. It's not going to matter. This is Ohio State all day. Take the points and run with it. So those are our picks. That's what we got. Well, those are my picks. As again, I'm solo here. Uh, that's all we have on the pod. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for dealing with an hour and a half of, uh, of just me. We will get the boys back for next week, and we apologize. Uh, we are scheduling that interview. We did not forget about it. Interview with my man. Uh, I'm going to keep it secret. I'm going to keep it secret. Well, actually, I don't know how many people have listened to the end, so I'll let you know. It's EJ Manuel. Remember EJ Manuel, Florida State, great. Played for the Buffalo Bills. Played for the Raiders. Uh, we're going to have him on the pod hopefully next week. We're scheduling out times now. So uh, thank you all for listening. We'll be back. Enjoy the weekend. Great games across the board. Should be an awesome weekend of football. And again, as, as we're coming down to the end here, especially only two weeks of the regular season left for college football, appreciate it every weekend you got it. Sit down, have a beer, order some pizza, hang out with the boys. 
we're getting into uh getting into fluffy season a little bit right <laughs> we're, we're in bulking season um as as the uh as the weather turns and the leaves are now falling off the trees and before we know it thanksgiving christmas new year's all that stuff will be on so have a wonderful weekend enjoy the football and we'll talk to you guys next week as always take it easy everybody <laughs>